0: So what I feel is one of the biggest pluses of, um, you know, student-led conferences really is the opportunity for students to goal set, right? And when they're in the space where they're creating their goals and they're with the parents, right, or the families, or maybe they're with their teachers, it's a collaborative effort, right? The families know what's going on at home and what they can do to assist on that.
1: Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and today I want to bring you another edition of the Teachers on Fire Roundtable, live-streamed conversations meant to warm your heart, spark your thinking, and ignite your professional practice. You can view and interact with the show live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central, and 11 a.m. Eastern on the Teachers on Fire channel on YouTube today's roundtable is titled student-led conferences why how and best practices my guests included star saxton melissa hayes skylar prim jeffrey frieden and victoria thompson enjoy joined today by five educators to talk about this topic of student-led conferences why should we implement student-led conferences in our schools what does it do for learners How can we go about setting them up? And what are some best practices that we can all follow as we get these rolling? So uh, without further ado, let's welcome our guests. And I'll ask each one to sort of introduce themselves and talk about what your current context in education looks like, starting with Melissa.
2: Um, Hello, I'm Melissa Hayes. I live in Hilliard, Ohio, and I teach second grade and I've been in the profession, this will be 24 years of second grade, 23 of the 24 years. <laughs> um, so I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for
3: having me.
1: Welcome and Star.
3: I'm Star Saxton. I'm an author and a consultant now, but I was a high school English teacher in New York City public schools for 16 years and then I was the director of humanities in a small district on Long Island for two years, and I've been in this current work for about a year and a half. I miss the classroom every single day, so I bow down to all of you who are still in it. It is the most important job, so thanks for for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us, Skylar. We've been connected for quite a while. This is our first real-time connection. Introduce yourself.
4: Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I'm Skylar Prim. I live in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, This is my 12th year of teaching, uh, but my 10th year at Highmark Environmental Charter School, my current uh, place of employment. And I'm a project-based learning teacher um, of mostly um, science and math, but I really kind of cover everything because we're a small school um, with uh,
1: only a couple staff. Welcome, Skylar and Jeffrey.
5: Hi, yeah, my name is Jeffrey Frieden. And I work in Southern California. I've been teaching, this is my 16th year, first year completely online. And, um, I teach 12th and 10th grade and I've done some work online though. I've stepped back from, from that role most, uh, more this year because of just how, how much bandwidth I've needed to just do my job this year. So happy to be here to talk about my experiences though.
1: Your sound is crystal clear. It's almost like you were a podcaster once upon a time and welcome Victoria
0: hi everybody i'm victoria thompson i'm based in tacoma washington which is like a suburb-ish of seattle i've been in education for five years and graduated um, college in 2015 and my first role i was a math and science teacher in uh, around somerville south carolina then when we moved to the seattle area i was a full-time tech consultant then a high school math teacher and now my role is a stem integration transformation coach I just call myself a STEM coach. Um, And my school is 100% PBL integrated, 100% student-centered, and we just finished student-led conferences. So I'm very excited to be here for the day. And thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, my pleasure. I'm glad to make your acquaintance as well, Victoria. And I'm hoping next week, by the way, to talk about coaching. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, getting into the conversation. So let's talk about this, uh, this practice of student-led conferences. I remember as a parent attending conferences at one point and being told by the teacher when I wanted to bring my son into the conversation, being told, let's just talk as adults. We don't we don't need the students. So why do we involve the students? And and even more importantly, why do we let them drive this process? I mean, isn't it too important to fail? Why do we give students control and actually let them lead? Melissa, let's go back to you.
2: Um, I think it's so important for our kids to feel empowered. It's their education. Their parents already graduated school. So they need to be in the driver's seat and they need to own the conversation. Not only do they feel empowered, but they feel more motivated and um, positive about the situation. And I think as educators, if we go in with our kids on not negatives, but what growth do we see and what are we working towards, it's an all around better conversation. And we want that parent-child collaboration with the teacher. We don't want the parents anymore outside the classroom. We want our doors open. We want the windows open. We want our kids and our parents to be able to work with the teacher through the school experience.
1: That's right. That that piece of shared ownership. Right. Star, how would you answer that? Why? What's what's your rationale for student led conferences?
3: So much of what Melissa was saying for what she does is true. And on the other end, too, in 12th grade, I think too often we take the power away from kids and those conversations end up excluding them when they really should be centered around them. And so building that culture in class where kids learn to talk about their learning and advocate for themselves is an opportunity for parents to get a better, more inclusive understanding of what happens in the learning space. And not just like, a you know, what do you learn today? And they just say nothing because that's what my 15 year old does when you ask him. Um, but thinking about teaching them to really articulate their learning in so many different ways and then show evidence of their learning is just a really empowering experience for them to be able to say, hey, this is something I started with and look at how far I've grown by the time we're having this conversation. So I think it really does give opportunities to show growth. It gives opportunities to allow kids to advocate for their learning and for parents to hear it directly from the kids instead of the conversation just being about your grade book, it becomes about their learning. And I think that that's super important.
1: Skylar, how would you answer that? What's the why? What would be your pitch for student-led conferences?
4: Yeah, uh, I'm also at the uh, upper end of the grade levels, uh, middle and high school. And I'm a a fierce advocate for student voice uh, and believing that students should have um, a voice in pretty much every uh, arena. And I think it's, I don't think it makes any sense for them to be excluded from discussions of their progress in school. Um, I think that gives them something to take pride in. Um, It gives them something to uh, connect with their parents, um, which is sometimes, especially in our the teenage years, um, like Star was mentioning with her son, sometimes there's like uh, that connection uh, at home isn't as good. And sometimes we see that connection build over discussions about like the cool stuff that they're doing. Um, but just as a like based on a base level, I think that they shouldn't be excluded from any discussions of um, how they're doing. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think that's right.
5: Jeffrey yeah i completely agree with everything that's being said so on the student end, like why you should do this for the benefit of the student so i want to take a little bit of a different approach and talk about the teacher um so for me like everything that i was thinking that i had to do as a teacher was trained to do asked to do a lot of those things never was i asked to do student conferences never was i trained to do that and um, really that was the one thing i really wanted to do was connect with my students um, understand where they were in their learning and try to help them get to the next step. But the grade book, um, all of the, there's there's a lot of exams and not that exams are bad, but there was a lot of examination, uh, a lot of protocols that we had to go through and a lot of things that we had to do that just demoralized me as a teacher. And so for me to stay in the profession, I had to make some drastic changes. It started with uh, moving points out of the grade book. We've had those conversations before, Tim. Um, and then from there, really the discovery of when I sit down and I conference with the students, um, it's telling me a very different story than the gradebook ever did. And that all those protocols ever did when I was looking at a spreadsheet. And I've said this on on the show previously, is that it's a bad storyteller. And I'm finding out what's really happening with my students in their learning, in their lives, and then how I can best equip and help them where they are at the moment. And I wasn't understanding that until I really sat down with them. And that's why I do it.
1: Hmm. We think we know, right? We think we know where they are until we hear them articulate it and we learn a lot. Victoria, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to add, but (laughs) give give us your pitch and your perspective. What's the why?
0: I'm actually excited because I have something new, which is nice. Uh, Two words, y'all, goal setting, goal setting. One of I feel like the biggest failures in education is that we tell students to reach their goals, achieve their goals, make this goal, make that goal. But there's no actionable follow up. They have no idea how to set those goals. Sometimes they don't even know how to reach those goals. Right. So I have worked with students in the past where they might want to work, especially in math. Right. Maybe C to an A. Right. C to a B, especially in middle and high school, they're trying to get into different programs, different colleges and universities. They can see, so so it's a very nearsighted experience, right? They see what they want to do, but they don't exactly know how to get there. So what I feel is one of the biggest pluses of, um, you know, student-led conferences really is the opportunity for students to goal set, right? And when they're in the space where they're creating their goals and they're with the parents, right, or the families, or maybe they're with their teachers, it's a collaborative effort. Right. The families know what's going on at home and what they can do to assist on that end. The teachers see what's going on in the classroom and they also know what to you know, assist with on that end as well. So the goal setting process becomes a lot more comprehensive. And then on top of that, there is actionable follow up, because now instead of one stakeholder, we have several. So we can hold students accountable. They're holding themselves accountable. And to me, that's what it's all about. I will say at my specific site, we have had issues, um, not like big issues or anything, but just, of course, making sure that students know what their goals are, you know, with respect to data, school expectations and all that stuff. Sometimes the data just isn't readily available, or in some cases, especially since my um, school is 100% remote right now, we have some families where they've never interacted with teachers before face to face. They might not even know what they look like. So some of that uh, process within the student-led conference is just getting to know you. And that's totally okay, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But then after that is done, then we start with goal setting and making it a positive collaborative experience for the student, the family, and then the teachers.
1: I'm glad you said that because I think now more than ever, perhaps because of so many school contexts and hybrid and remote uh, contexts, um, you know sometimes the conversation isn't really much more than hey how are things going as as a family like how can we support you you know we're we're not really seeing any work maybe in some cases and it it, it may not even be getting into the weeds of academic achievement or growth and just talking simply about hey how are you this is who i am <laughs> and and starting with the basics All right, let's get into your experiences with student led conferences. That's where I want to go from here. And actually, before we jump into that, I want to say a quick hello. We've got a number of friends in the conversation this morning joining us in the comments. Hello to Shannon, Mark Ryan from Dubai, Thinking Hands, Brian Carpenter, Abby French, Dr. Dan Krinas, Carla, Rochelle, and on and on, David Frangiosa. Good to see all of you here. Moving into question number three, tell us about your experiences with student-led conferences. How have they appeared in your world? And we're blessed to have a variety of sort of grade levels here this morning. So this is going to sound and look a little bit different as we go around. Victoria, let's go back to you.
0: Yeah, so I'll actually speak um, with my experience as an educator, because as a coach, of course, I'm not really privy to those conversations. I assist with them and kind of you know, come up with questions, but that's between the student, the teacher, and the family. So when I was a teacher, when I did student-led conferences at the high school level and at the middle school level, at the high school level, it was more just with the student. It was parent optional, and we did have quite a few parents come in. At the middle school level, of course, it was students, uh, families, and, of course, me. And a lot of it, first, you know, introductions, let's talk about the highlights and the positives, and that was mostly driven by me because I wanted uh, families to know the good that I was seeing as an educator. After that, completely hands off, and I would turn it over to the student. I had a template that I used to use with just three questions. One, what do you feel like you're doing well in this class and also in school in general? Remember, I also taught fifth and sixth grade, right? So this was beginning of middle school, things were changing. I wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable and safe in this new environment, both socially and academically. After that, what do you feel like maybe there are areas for growth, whether again, socially, academically, You know, maybe they wanna make some more friends, maybe they wanna participate more in class, Uh, Maybe they want to get an A on the next test, you know, it kind of ran the gamut with what they wanted to do, but I just thought it was super cool that they were able to highlight those areas for growth. And then the third is just how can we support you, right? We, meaning your family, the school, me, anybody that you have at your disposal, what can we do to support you in this process? And what I really appreciated was that kids are more candid than we think. They're honest and they're open and they will tell you what they need in order to be successful. Um, if it wasn't to that point where maybe they felt comfortable, then follow up conversations happened with that. But that is typically how I did my student led conferences. They were anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, uh, sometimes more, you know, if the family wanted to talk more, or if the student just had a lot to say. So honestly, they took you know, months long. I would typically block out about two to three months for student led conferences. But for me, that was the way to do it because I want to learn the families. I wanted to learn more about the students. I wanted to know what I could do to support. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I got.
1: Well, and more might come to you, but that's a very structured, comprehensive outline. Thank you so much. Wow. I'm just wrapping my head around up to an hour per student. That is such a massive commitment. But it sort of of changes the way we think of student-led conferences as more of an ongoing journey and and a conversation.
0: And for context, too, the last school that I worked at, I only had about 55 students. so that is more of an impetus for the longer time because i had less at the first school that i worked at i had about 100 on my caseload um so those were more of the 50 or not 50 but the 30 minute segments at the last school i worked at definitely more of an hour but it's because i had less to blessed to accommodate.
1: Well, I'm already glad and thankful this will be recorded and repurposed (laughs) on the Teachers on Fire podcast so I can listen to that outline. And I'm sure more good ones are coming. Jeffrey, tell us about your experiences with student-led conferences.
5: Yeah, they've taken a drastic shift this year where I've kind of had to to power down to just the minimum. Um, Because uh, what I was doing before, and I'll talk about that and I'll reference that mostly, I got to the point where I was uh, having students um, like the goal setting that Victoria was talking about. They would do that. They would reflect on the standards and they would do this through um, an online portfolio that they were building so that they could accurately represent the story of their learning in my class. Um, And also it was just a way for them to build a positive reputation online too. And that showed their growth and showcased who they were. So um, I did bring with me a couple of samples from last year before everything uh, sort of shut down, and um, I am trying to figure out how the share screen thing works here. So, bear with me. But um, I don't know if it's working on your end. There we go. Uh, that's this is one of my students who decided to build a Wix, um, and did did above and beyond what I was asking to do. So, of course, I'm going to showcase this one. Uh, but just building out pages to reference there. I'm an English teacher. So reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And I tried to reduce the standards just to like sp- the big six that they were going to work on. So I'll just show you just a quick little sample of what they would show up with. This is Marcus here. He would show up with the, um, for his grade four or grading period number four conference. And uh, he would have samples of his work that he was doing in the class that showcased his listening and speaking standard right here and describe like how he got it done and how he hit the mark. So they had to do outside reading and they had some questions that went along with it. This is Haley and she did a great job. You can see she built out an entire page, you know, like this is slowly built over the course of the year where we just kind of like built the buckets to start. And then they over time, they filled in those buckets with the content. So those are just some examples of what they would do to kind of help um, help me and them understand and stay focused on what it was that they were doing to show how they were growing. and then also just broadcast something positive that they can put out there too. So later on, this could actually end up going onto a resume if they wanted to. They sh- look, look how diligent I was, look what I built. And so it was a good way to kind of show that versus just trying to go for this like one letter in this long spreadsheet by the end of the semester.
1: I've heard you describe those on Voxer, Jeffrey. That was a treat to see those unfold. I can just sort of sense the pride. Can't you sense the pride in that student in, in investing that much energy and time into uh, outlining this amazing website? Skylar, uh, what have they looked like in your world? What's your process?
4: Yeah, ours are pretty similar to um, what Victoria described. Uh, we do about 30 minutes um, for our students. Um, they are uh parent you know we schedule for parents to come in sometimes they bring siblings too um and it becomes just a whole family affair which is kind of fun uh students we ask students uh and we help prepare them ahead of time to share evidence of growth and evidence of reflection so we want them to be thinking about like what have we done so far um how did it go and what are we going to do next um are kind of the overall i guess guiding principles there and I think a big piece of those conferences um, in addition to um, like what Victoria mentioned about like getting to know the families uh, better is the the families getting to know our school better because we don't have grades and uh, we're almost Uh, entirely project-based so it's a totally new curriculum for most of our families when they're starting out and so uh, it requires there's a learning curve not just for the students but also for the parents and so having the students explain that to them is another way of giving the students some uh, power and sense of pride in the kind of work they're doing and helping them uh, you know internalize the process of project-based learning because if you're as we all know as teachers um, if you're teaching somebody else how to do something Uh, or how something works. um, That's a real demonstration that you've internalized how it works. Um, They're always really well attended parents. uh, Even this year when uh, we are currently in person, but we can't have outsiders in the school. So our conferences were all uh, over Google Meet uh, or or the phone. um, And uh, we still had 100% attendance for them uh, from our families. Uh, Our students did like screen shares of things. Formatting-wise, they do any kind of portfolio they want. It's kind of like um, Jeffrey was describing. Some students will create Google Slides. Some will create websites. And it's really fun to see kind of their personality show through. Um, we have students, I think the one of the unique uh, situations that I have is that I have students four up through all of those years, um, sixth through 12th grade. And so um, I can think of one student who graduated a couple of years ago who, when she was in seventh grade, would literally hide under the table during her student-like conference um, rather than explain her learning to her parents, even though she was doing fine. She was just that uh, shy um, and anxious and went to, you know, by 12th grade, was just happily running the show. Um, and I think that being able to look back on that growth on over the long term is just a really beautiful thing to, to be able to do with the students and with their parents.
1: Such a beautiful thing. I love what you said about that sense of pride, right? And we keep hearing that students need that opportunity to celebrate what it really is going well. Star, I'm going to turn it over to you. And, and Star, I know that family obligations are going to pull you away from us here in a few minutes. So I'm going to ask you to sort of talk about your experiences. And if you want to touch on that next question of, you know, what are some of your key uh, pieces of advice, best practices, go ahead and do that as well.
3: Sure thing. So student-led conferences for me were like twofold because I was using them as assessment conferences in class and then also as in lieu of parent-teacher conferences in the same way everybody else has sort of spoken of. So we maintain portfolios. Um, Students spoke in terms of standards. They were setting their own goals and tracking their progress throughout the semester, which was all sort of built in. And then at progress report time and end of marking period time. I would send out a Google form that sort of was an overview of all of the stuff we had done that semester, giving them time to really think about what was going on. They had time in class to review their portfolios, which were usually kept in organized Google um, Google Drive. Some of them made sites. Some of them did external things as well. And some of them, you know, incorporated the blog work that they were doing in class, um, kind of like Jeffrey's Wix stuff. And my journalism students were also building those online sort of personas with the work that they were doing over time. And what we would do then is for the conferences in class, we had appointments because class was going on while it was happening. They were usually five minutes, which is why. For my caseload, I had 150 plus kids in New York City schools, so there's a lot of kids I have to attend to, and many of them are working after school, so I can't really bring them in after school. I filled up my entire day usually, making sure that happened, which is also why I use the Google Forms, because it gave them an opportunity to make their thinking really succinct, and it also gave me an opportunity to find the gaps prior to them coming to sit down with me so that if something wasn't observed in that time, they would have the opportunity to speak to that. Um, Thinking in terms of the parent-led piece of it, we did it through our advisories, so it was a little different than everybody else. I had my 15 kids who were in advisory. Parents made appointments with their children to come to have those conversations. And we had practiced an advisory prior to for them to go through their portfolios So that they could speak to specific goals they were working on, how each piece they were going to show demonstrated their progress, talk about the progress they would like to make from there. And then parents had an opportunity also to ask questions about the work that they were seeing. I was very lucky in the sense that um, with all the other work I was doing with assessment reform at that school that that was all happening with, we were a portfolio school, and this is how the whole school did conferences. So parents knew coming in that I was not going to engage with them, and that if they wanted to have a conversation with me, that was going to have to be something separate, um, that they'd have to make an appointment for at a different time, which I think was, it took the pressure off of me because a lot of the kids that were in my advisory weren't necessarily in my English class or my journalism classes. So again it really created more of this um community environment because i was in touch with all my advisory students teachers and had a good sense of where each child was not just in my space but where they were in every space and i could overhear conversations that were happening with parents and really help them you know s- stay on target because sometimes i even had multiple conferences going on in my room at the same time in terms of tips um I think the best thing I learned over time and because um, student-led conferences was such a big part of my assessment process in class, it took me years to really get down to the process of what is in hacking assessment or teaching students to self-assess, even the way I was bringing reflection into the work that was happening. So my, my first big tip I could give is if you aren't using standards-based reflection with every major project or assessment that you're using, you're really missing out on an opportunity to hear what kids know and can do. Um, A lot of times we think our assessments are doing kids justice, but there are always gaps. Even the best assessments don't necessarily speak to everything kids know and can do. And by inviting their reflection, we're giving them an opportunity to fill those gaps and then it gives us a better idea of what they actually know and can do. And then we could you know, think about our instruction um, and target our instruction a little bit better based on what we learned from that experience. So it's a real iterative process. The more we invite their voices in, the better our instruction becomes because we're able to really support their needs and not just with what we see in their work, but also what we're now hearing um, from their own perception of that learning. So that's my that's my one tip. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. So um, All of you on here, I, I believe I know from Twitter. So it's been really awesome listening to your experiences and I will catch up on the rest of this later. Um, so have a great day, everybody. Thank you for having me on.
1: Star, it was an honor. And just before you run, you've written a few books. I know you're working on one. What would be the book that speaks the best to student-led conferences?
3: Oh, gosh. I I feel like there's a little bit of that in all of them. But my the one that's coming out with ASCB in March is called Assessing with Respect. And it takes a lot of the work I've done in all the other ones and folds in social emotional learning and thinking about assessment through the lens of the whole child and how teachers on an everyday basis could be thinking about Kids is in numbers and letters and what practices we can have in classes to really help build their learner identities and not just label them. So you could look out for that one. I think that's probably, I, I'm, I'm super proud of it because it also really has a heavy um, equity element in it, which I think student-led conferences also speaks to equity because it gives every child in, in the classroom a, a voice to, to share what they need to share.
1: Well said, Star. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day. Melissa, I'll turn it over to you. What, are your, what have your experiences of student-led conferences looked like?
2: Well, I am like an outsider here because I'm elementary. Um, and I've been doing student-led conferences, I think it's about five years. And my first year, I didn't ask for permission. I just did it. If anyone knows me, they know I just do it and then ask for forgiveness later. (laughs) Um, But for me, uh, I'm a huge advocate for littles can do anything, even kindergarten and pre-K. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, that student conferences, my kinders can't do that. uh, Yes, they can. You would be surprised what our kids can do and teach us. Um, But i sit down with my kids and i talk about what this all is and we come up with an outline um they are contributing to that outline and it's like victoria talked about there's goals um there's our one word which we developed this one's for the spring so in the fall we wouldn't necessarily have a one word they um add to the outline with uh, what we're looking forward to what have we accomplished this year? What are, What's going really well? What is something that we are working towards? So it's not really a negative, it's just working towards. And as after a culmination of ideas from my kids, then I create the outline, give it to them, and they jot all their ideas that they wanna talk about. And then from there, they use Flipgrid, to get on and talk about all these items. And then they post work samples that they're excited about that was maybe challenging, but they felt so proud of after um, the process. And um, in the beginning, they make a Google folder and they put items in that they want to discuss during their conferences. Um, So they have the Flipgrid. I set it for the longest period of time I can. And they can add silly things on there, too. I mean, I think it shows their personality. I wouldn't want to, them to be prim and pop, proper. They're littles. So um, they do their Flipgrid. Then after their Flipgrid, um, we have the student-led conference. They come in with their parents or their family. Anyone can come, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. They play the Flipgrid first. For littles, it's so intimidating, especially, you know, our education system when parents weren't ever supposed to come in and when they were supposed to come to parent teacher or parent conferences it was always that dread of oh great now i'm going to hear what my kid did and this is so much more of a positive so they come in they hit their flip grid and they you could see the smile on their face the pride in their eyes and they're just so excited and to, and proud of the work that they have accomplished. So they show their parents, we have a good laugh, they lead the conversation. Um if there's a calm like a long silence, I'll say would anyone like to add anything? Um how's it going so far? What are what is it that you need from me because I'm here? That kind of thing. I might show some assessments, but I'm not geared toward those assessments. Those parents know about the areas of weakness long before those conferences. So do I need to hone in on those? No. So we focus solely on the positive. And then after the conference, they are just super excited and they can't wait for the next conference. Um, The Flipgrid is amazing because those parents who can't come to conference, I send them their conference. So every kid does it. It doesn't matter if their parent didn't sign up, they do it because we need to, our families need to know we're there for them. And that communication is wide open. And our littles are our top priority. And they're super excited, even if their parents don't come to show their parents the conference, have that conversation. I've gotten emails thanking me um, due to work or this or that. Now we're in full virtual mode this year. So I did do student-led conferences. We did do them on a Zoom. We did use Flipgrid. I did everything the same. The only difference was when my kids got, when it was, they both got on and we said, oh, hi, thanks for coming. I said, okay, you got the floor and they ran with it. They had their screen share. They put up the Flipgrid, everything. So it's, it's, I love the experience and I hope more people in elementary do it too.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Melissa. That was awesome. And you know, you are—you do have the the littles here in this conversation compared to some of the rest of us. But so many comments pouring in about the the great ideas and ways we can sort of reinvent or repurpose those ideas in in higher grade levels. Well, I want to give you space to actually speak to best practices and focus in on like what would be for that teacher or educator or building leader to that is trying to start this process. What would be your one piece of advice? What would be the things that they must do, or maybe something that they must avoid? Uh, I've really enjoyed, as an ed tech enthusiast, I've enjoyed hearing about Flipgrid and Google Sites and Google Forms, and I'm getting all these ideas for tools that I am not using. (laughs) But what would be your best advice for getting this off the ground? Victoria, let's go back to you.
0: So going back to goals, I think that one of the most important things for you as an educator is to think about what you want the end goal to be from the conversation and from the conference. I feel like that's something that sometimes gets lost in translation, right? You know, we have a conference, we wanna have a productive conversation, but sometimes the families might not be in the know. And then also if it wasn't properly communicated to the student, they might also not be in the know, right, of how the conversation might go. So, definitely lean on goals, right? What is the intended outcome that you would like to have from this? Second, I think another thing to consider as well for best practices. um, And I always think of this because my district, my district right now, not just my school, is 100% remote. What is the platform or what are some tools that you can use along the way to make sure that the message gets across and that the meeting is, of course, as productive as possible? Um, so we're all kind of naming our favorite ed tech tools. Um, so we use Zoom right now just to communicate with parents back and forth. Uh, but for goal setting and just communication, I'm a gigantic Pear Deck fan. So I use Pear Deck a lot just even with professional developments. I hold with teachers. But when I was in the classroom, I did it with students as well. And it was those three questions, right, that I already spoke about. You know, what do you, like what are some highlights? What do you feel as though there are areas for growth in? And then what can we do to support you? They have filled it out asynchronously. And then when they come to me, it's already presented. So that's an idea for best practice that I've also suggested to my teachers as well. Have students complete something asynchronously. That way, they already have something to bring to the table once it's time for the student-led conference. So there's less time with the ums and the ahs and the I don't knows, right? Or you know, less time deliberating. And it's more intentional and it's more impactful, right? Because if they've already done the cognitive work beforehand, Then we come up, right? They might have more to add. We can collaborate about it. We can talk about it and we can discuss solutions. Um, So that's a best practice that I really lean on as well. And then my last tip really is just, you know, listen to your students, right? Um, So those are kind of my three guidelines, but if they have other questions they wanna ask, you know, maybe if there's something else that they wanna bring up, I'm all about it. They're more than welcome to add and have agency to do anything they want during this conference.
1: My friend Aaron Blackwelder is so strong on the student knows better than you. You think mm-hmm. you know, but the student knows better in so many cases. There's kind of a mix there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned, let me do a quick follow-up, Victoria. You've mentioned yeah, sure. goal setting, which I love. I'm such a goals person personally. Are you an advocate of SMART goals? I know SMART goals ha- has their advocates and critics.
0: I mean, I'm neither here nor there. Um, Only because I know for school-to-school, district-to-district, things are so different, right? So the way that I really approach goal setting is it's on a case-by-case basis. My school and my district specifically doesn't incorporate, you know, those SMART goals on a daily basis. I don't even think I've seen them, you know, with my teachers in this virtual learning environment. So I don't even know if they're implemented. But I have done them in the past. For me, it's very situational. Uh, When I think about goal setting, though, my thing is, okay, what can we do to get you from point A to point B? Not necessarily sequential steps, but rather what are long-term solutions that we can come up with. What I don't like with SMART goals is that sometimes I feel like they're very finite. There are ways to work around it and move around it, but with goal setting, I need it to be fluid for my students because even for me as an adult, like sometimes my goals you know, don't end up how they want or my day doesn't end up how it wants. I put my dog in my wife's office and he's already like sitting down trying to get up on this podcast right now. So that didn't go how I wanted it to go. So I always say that to my students as well, right? If things don't go the way that I want to as an adult, then it can be fluid and I can change my track trajectory. I want to have that the same for the students I teach. Sometimes smart goals don't align with that. Um, I see the merit, but for me, I like for my goals to be more fluid. So I use SMART goals on a situational basis.
5: Fair enough. Jeffrey. Okay. Um, I was trying to reduce this down to one. So I, I'll, I'll bring it down to like a catchphrase if I can. So everything that Victoria just said, that's amazing. Um, but for me, it's make them publish. And what I mean by that is if they're going to have like the the website that I have showed you my students showcasing their work is if they showcase their learning, this will put some pressure on them to to make some production because I'm taking things like points off of the table and things like, but they have to produce something. And I also want to make it a little bit public so their parents can see it. Um, I also really want to strongly encourage, you know, for uh, other people like the public at, at large to see it as well. Obviously if students are, uh, if that's really intimidating, we'll find some sort of spot where they're more comfortable. But I also do want them to experience a little bit of discomfort. Like, wait, this could go out there into the world and it could be a reflection on me. Yeah, that's what I want it to be. I don't want to hide behind a grade book or anything like that. So as as much as we can get them to publish their work in a public setting so that um when it comes time to like showcase, they're ready. Now that means for me as a teacher, I have to get them ready. That puts the pressure on me to make sure that they are as comfortable as possible so that they're ready to showcase that work. So I got to get them ready for that show. Uh, the way I do that is through building the portfolio piece by piece. Star mentioned that it's an iterative process. And so we're going to iterate. We're going we're gonna to have some things that aren't, aren't the, our best public face, but we're going to work on putting on a public face over time And then for me, like if I go way back to the beginning, that means like in English uh, language arts, we have tons and tons of standards that we're supposed to cover. I for me and to make my students a success, I have to reduce that down to like the bare minimum for them for what they're going to showcase. Now, I'm going to teach all the other stuff and there will be some reflection on it. And the assessments will catch those things that that I'm asked to do by my my district or my school site. But for me and for my student, like, let's, I really want you to be proud of your work in these areas and just kind of keep it focused for them. So get them to publish, get them to collect their story over time and make it as simple as possible for them.
1: Mm, I'm such a fan of what you're talking about. I do wonder if from Melissa's perspective or the primary elementary levels, if that public publishing looks different. Um, I'm assuming those flip grids are probably locked down, but I-, I love the idea of publishing, Jeffrey, you know that. And I'm even wondering, Jeffrey, if students could make an audio version, why couldn't they sort of uh, start their own personal podcast that narrates their their learning and growth journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. Skyla, well, I'm
5: just going to jump yeah. in real quick and say that that's exactly what Star would advocate for and she does in in her book and her work is what, what do the students want to do when they publish? How would you want to publish this? And that's part of the conversation too. Um, for me, the, the website is more of just like, so we can all like look at the same time and you don't, you won't lose it in a backpack somewhere or anything like that. It's there it is. It's online. We can all kind of access it. Um, so we can see that, but there's a lot of different ways they could do video. They could do a loom video. They could do Flipgrid. They can do uh, a podcast. They can do all kinds of things. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You talked
1: about that little bit of, I don't know if you said pressure. Lisa in the comments did say pressure. Pressure is good. The, the other part of this too is not just the accountability piece, but it's the fact that their classmates get to see each other's work. So many times we make this experience kind of just a vertical uh, you know, teacher-student or teacher-student parent experience. Let's bring the classmates in. Let's let them share in the learning journeys. And uh, I think for the most part, this is usually not nothing that would be super personal or surprising to to classmates. I think it's so helpful to see, you know, neighbors setting goals and, okay, this person is setting this goal and that's going to be inspiring as well. Skyler, what are your tips, strategies, best practices, what comes to mind? What would you share?
4: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, that that peer, uh, positive peer pressure aspect. That's, that's one of the things I was going to talk about is that I think that um, you know, as the teacher, you're one person, um, and the students are their best uh, audience. Um, and you know, in our school, we're we're multi-age, and so some students have been through student-led conferences a bunch of times before, and we'll have them act as mentors for the younger students, um, who are both helping them prepare and also acting as like a um, you know as a mock parent essentially as an audience. Um, but even in a, a single uh, age uh, classroom, I think just having the students working together um, and sharing their work with each other and getting feedback from each other um, is going to be so much more powerful in the end than if they're just sharing it with you. I think that the other advice that I would have is to just always be willing to refine your process um, and and to never stop changing what your student led conferences look like, because uh, you know my my teaching doesn't look the same as it did ten years ago. My student led conferences don't look the same as they did ten years ago, um, and it would be ridiculous if they did. And a lot of that is because of either self-reflection on, you know, oh, this doesn't seem like it's working, or it's stuff that students have told me directly, or it's stuff that parents have said directly, um, as in terms of feedback on what's worked and what hasn't, or what they've wanted to see and didn't see. Uh, and so I think just being able to have that um, level of humility and and willingness to uh, revise, 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 and take in feedback is is really important, and it also, of course, is you're modeling it for your students every time that you that you do that.
1: Absolutely, anytime we can bring in that multiple iterations of work and that that just that growth mindset, right? We're on a continuous journey here as educators and as students. Lisa says, "What about students who have no one to attend the student led conference with them? Maybe we'll get to that question." Uh, Melissa, I want to give you a chance first of all to talk about best practices. You gave us so much. Is there, what what would be those one or two points that you would say you gotta do this?
2: Well, Flipgrid is amazing. And that goes back to the question that was just asked. What if the parents don't come to the conference? Well, you send the conference to them. Flipgrid is a video platform, and then you can follow up with a phone call or they can follow up with a conference if they need. Um, For me, it's trusting the process and trusting our kids. Um, I think sometimes we worry about what the kids will do Well, they're kids, depending on the age. So let them trust that they're going to be able to do this because it's an amazing, amazing uh, process to go through. Um, I would also say, going back to Victoria and the goals, we set a personal academic and an SEL goal. And for me, it's the time to reflect. It's the time to process what you've done. Um, Because I think a lot of times we do those goals and we never go back to them. And then we forget what we did. Um, So reflection is huge. Also making sure that our kids are in the control seat. They are formulating their goals. They are formulating what's going to go on in that conference. Um, And having fun. I I love student-led. Even the most awkward student-led conference ends up to be the funniest one ever. So um, these memories, these kids will never get back. Every year is a different year. So my big thing is just to make it memorable.
1: Your conferences, Melissa, have to be so cute. I can just imagine those kids on Flipgrid lighting it up, their parents smiling ear to ear. It's interesting, you know, uh, Mark Ryan, our friend from Dubai, uh, said earlier in the broadcast that he hates the Zoom conferences, wants to be in person, which I totally get. But there are some interesting advantages, some interesting silver linings to putting it on video. And as as you said, Melissa, bringing it to them. Uh, a couple of other uh, guests here had some thoughts on that question, that all important question of what about that kid who doesn't have someone to come to the conference or what, you know, the parent is unavailable or, or whatever. Uh, I'd like to go to Skylar and then Victoria. Skylar, your thoughts on that one?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to really quick share a story from... Uh, past years at at my school when we had a student whose parent was just uh, not available um, for conferences and we would have them prepare for the conference and then do the the sharing for uh, his advisor who was my my co-teacher and some other adults that are in the building Um, so we'd have a few other um, trusted adults that he had relationships with and he would share his learning for them um, so that it was still a meaningful opportunity for him to uh, you know, compile uh, the stuff that he had been doing, and to really and to to share it with people that he cared about and that mattered to him, even if he wasn't able to do it with
1: um, his uh, biological family, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. That's really touching. And Victoria, anything to add to that?
0: I was actually going to say the same exact thing and share almost that same exact story, but I've been in the position as the adult that goes to support the child, right? Um, So typically, you know, if there's a student where, again, if their family's just not available, maybe they're working, maybe they just can't make it, you know, or maybe they don't want to make it. Unfortunately, that's also a reality as educators that we have to deal with. Um, We've also been in the position where I'll get emails hey you know this person has identified you or the student has identified you as an adult that they trust in the building could you please come to support so that's usually the language that you know that i receive around that and of course i always go right so there's about two or three of us you know we'll go we'll share growth areas we'll share highlights we'll also share you know what we can do to support together as a team and honestly i feel like as a teaching team that makes us stronger because we hear directly then from the student in an authentic environment You know, it's not in a class where there's a bunch of students, or, you know, maybe if there's an observer, it's just us and the kid. And I think that that's really special, not only to be chosen as, you know, a trusted adult for that child, uh, but also to have the opportunity to grow along with them. So. I definitely agree with everything that Skylar said. You know, choose some or have them choose rather. You know, adults in the building that they really trust, and it doesn't just have to be teachers. You know, I've been in meetings with custodians. You know, I've been in meetings with you know, the principal, with the school psychologist. Anybody that the child trusts and once in the meeting, definitely contact, reach out, and they're more than likely to go for it.
1: What an honor, right, Victoria, to be that one tapped as, hey, would you, uh, you know, Miss Thompson or Mrs. Thompson, would you be my, I don't even know what you would call it, my special person at the conference right. or <laughs> my, my stand-in. Yeah, that is yeah. really, really awesome, very touching. We,
0: we called it bring your own grown-up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So I was always asking, can you be my grown-up? Can you be my grown-up? And I said, of of course I will. Absolutely I will.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're running short on time, but I don't want to miss this round. So getting into sort of the last question here, let's make these answers sort of a rapid fire. It might just be a title, an author or two, but who should we be reading in this area? Who have you learned from? For people joining us live or on the replay on YouTube, what should they be checking out to learn more in this space of student-led conferences? Victoria,
0: I'll go back to you. Yeah, so I always defer to leaders of their own learning. Um, so if you go to edu- or eleducation.org, I think is the website. Um, they've even got some chapters that are available for you to peruse. Absolutely, absolutely recommend it. And it's all about how student-led conferences inspire students to own their learning. And the title of the book is called Leaders of Their Own Learning.
1: That's amazing that you threw that out. That was the book I really focused on for a lot of my first yeah, year of my <laughs> of my of my masters. <laughs> Jeffrey's got it there. Ron Berger is amazing. Uh, yeah, definitely take a
5: look at that one. Love that suggestion. So glad you said it. Jeffrey, what about you? So yeah, if you're once you're done with leaders of their own learning, um, I'll I'll throw two out there. And because Star isn't here, I'll I mean I'm gonna throw out two of her books that she um, I referenced those earlier to hacking assessment. This was the one that got me started on my pointless, list, gradeless list journey. And then students really do need to be taught to uh, self-assess. This one's amazing. It's very, it's, uh, it's very short, very practical. You can read it in afternoon. So like on a Friday, if you're like frustrated, like they're not self-assessing by Monday, you can have stuff to go so that they're ready to self-assess.
1: All right, thank you for those. I I don't have that second one, I'll be checking that out. I like that it's short and pithy and to the point, that's always helpful. And I'm also excited, as Shannon said, it was Star's next book. Skylar, what can you recommend? Yeah, I had a feeling
4: Jeffrey was gonna take mine, which was this <laughs> to self assess book sure. um, that I read a few years back. Um, those ASCD Aria books um, are those those thin ones, they're, they're great PD. Um, if you if there's a subject that you're interested in and you want something quick um, that and to the point, those are awesome. Um, I would just put in a plug for Medium. Uh, there's a lot of teachers writing on Medium, uh, myself included, and and several of us here um, included. And if you just search for student led conferences there, you will find all kinds of uh, writing there from experts who are you know the people that are doing
1: it. And hey, I love that one. If you are an educator, you wanna write on Medium, make sure to get in touch with me. I'm the publisher or I run the publication called the Teachers on Fire Magazine. And Skylar, you've submitted, I think a piece there, I wanna say, but I know for sure you've written for Human Restoration Project and and others. uh, Lots of great publications and authors on Medium. Melissa, where would you point educators on this all important subject?
2: Well, I'm last, everything's taken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm gonna go in a little different direction. Um, I think it's all about a mindset and George Curis' book, Innovator's Mindset is amazing. There might not be a chapter on student-led conferences but it gets you in the process of giving control to your kids. And also I would say Twitter. Twitter is the best PD ever. Go in the search, type in student-led conferences, find those educators that are on fire, Follow them, see what they're doing, and then give it a try.
1: That's a great point. Is there a an SLC hashtag or student-led conferences hashtag? Does Has anyone here ever seen Is there one go-to hashtag or just sort of figure it out? They figure it out, student voice?
2: Yeah. Or, well, student voice can be tricky. That's
1: right.
2: <laughs> completely right. But if you type in student-led conference, I've done that. There's all kinds of people that are doing it.
1: All right. Well, we know there's a lot of good stuff on Twitter. Thank you for that, Melissa. I'm, I'm going to second all of those recommendations. We are now at the end of our conversation and I have so enjoyed it. Before we sign off though, make sure that people know where we can find you and maybe let us know about one project that you're excited about. If there's something you're working on right now, uh, Melissa, back to you.
2: Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty addicted. <laughs> It's at Hayes underscore Melissa. Just watch the spelling of Melissa because it's only one L and one S. Um, I'm also on Voxer. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. Yet I have an account and I'm never on it. Um, I am just getting through the virtual online all year this year. No matter what happens, I'm going to be online the whole year. But it's amazing. The kids are great. Parents are great. Um, i'm excited for i'm contributing to a few books that will be coming out so that's exciting and just um learning from all these amazing amazing educators each year is exciting
1: i will echo that thank you melissa for joining us today skylar yeah i'm uh also
4: on twitter at skylar prim um and uh i have a very basic homepage at skylarprim.com that links to any other uh work that i do um but what I'm most excited about right now is um, I'm on the board of the Human Restoration Project, and we are launching or have launched the 100 Days of Conversation Project at 100daysofconversation.org, which is um, in partnership with re Ed, which is an opportunity to um, hear from students and communities about how we might transform schools post-pandemic. Um, take the opportunity that we have right here. Uh, and my co-teacher and I and a few of our students were had the pleasure of recording the pilot conversation last week um, or week before last. And it was just awesome to hear our students talk about some of those questions. So it was really like high level philosophical school questions. Um, and so I'm really excited to hear all the conversations that come out of that.
1: Very,
5: very cool. Jeffrey, how can we connect with you? Yeah, I'm also at all those places, Voxer, Twitter, at VDU and um, also have a, a website that's very empty right now. I kind of went into really just, instead of like the thrive part, I've just been working on surviving this year. And so my big accomplishment this year online has been appearing on uh, Teachers on Fire roundtables. So I'm just looking forward to like surviving uh, hibernation and then uh, probably coming back stronger this summer. All right,
0: and Victoria, yeah um you'll see my dog you can find me on twitter at victoria the tech Uh, my twitter handle is right there and by far where i am the most active um so definitely check that out and i've got my website link there as well where you can find where i'm speaking conferences i'll be at you know all of that very fun stuff Um, Some exciting things that have been happening or that I'm looking forward to rather. Um, So I just finished a course on social justice in math and was published and that I'm just so excited. And even more exciting because I didn't even have to go through editing. They said that it was so good, they just tossed it off and I was like, yes, I made it. Um, I'm also presenting at NCCE in March, which is the Northwestern Council for Computer Education Conference. It's usually held in Seattle. This year it's virtual but I'm very excited to present there. And I'm also presenting at MIT in about two weeks as a panelist on the future of math professional learning. Uh, So really exciting things with math coming up that I'm just super pumped for. Um, But of course, today was definitely a highlight, and I'm just so excited to be here today.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming. It was great to meet you. And Melissa, Schuyler, Jeffrey, we've connected before, but great to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's been great to learn from you and with you, and I know we will connect. My name is Tim Cavey, and I'm proud to contribute to the education conversation through the Teachers on Fire podcast. If you enjoyed this roundtable episode, make sure to subscribe to the Teachers on Fire channel on YouTube, where you can interact with me and my guests every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central, and 11 a.m. Eastern and if you haven't yet make sure to connect with me at teachers on fire on twitter instagram facebook voxer and now clubhouse to catch more from me and hear from amazing educators who are bringing growth and transformation to k-12 education today when you listen to this content and share your support on social media you pour fuel on my fire and inspire me to keep going thanks again for listening to this roundtable episode in these challenging times take care share an encouraging message to lift up a colleague and keep that fire for learning burning bright